I have to walk a lot. I go for walks in the morning because there is not another opportunity in the rest of the day. And I go early and slowly as COVID was hitting and the lockdowns were coming, they closed down the sea road and then they closed down the parks. And then I was just walking through the neighborhood and I live in Sultanahmet. And people are usually shocked about that because it is such a touristy area. And I started walking in the neighborhood and Oh my Lord, because there's no, there's zero tourism. All the shops are shut down. The Rasta Bazaar has been locked down at that point. And you hear all these stories about the animals around the world coming out into the cities. Well, one day I walked out and it's like the seagulls had taken over the street, which was kind of eerie. These are big seagulls. They're kind of scary and they remind you of Hitchcock's, the birds, you know, and you're walking through them and they're not even scared. They're not even moving like they normally do. And it's like, that's creepy. And the dogs are getting kind of packish, which I love the dogs here, but when they're in packs, it's a little bit scary. So I'm being barked at and there's nobody on the street, nowhere. In one way, it was so pleasant to sort of have all of Sulkanamit to myself, but it was such an eerie day. And then this dog popped out. He was about 300 meters away. And I thought, oh no, and he was barking. And it's like, okay, stay calm because I've been bit by dogs before in Thailand and here it's like stay calm and then I, I'm looking at him and he is prancing <laughs> and jumping and his tail is wagging and it's like oh my lord I think this poor creature is so desperate for some human contact because he's right in front of a, a tea garden that would have uh, seen many 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 people so he was probably petted and taken care of all the time and here he is all by himself. Well, he came running over and I petted him for the longest time. And then I would walk away and he'd start crying and I'd go back and pet him a little more and walk away. And I finally, you know, I had to continue on. And this, this dog cried forever. And even when I was out of sight, I could still hear him crying. And I felt so bad for him. But that whole walk was the last day I could go through the square because thereafter they closed it down. So... I wasn't able to go back and say hello to him for quite a few months. The story you just heard is from a woman named Jennifer Gaudet. Jennifer's Canadian, but she's been living in Istanbul since 2006. I'll get into why I talked to Jennifer later, but she's the owner and founder of Jennifer's Hamam a textile company that works exclusively with artisans that work on old-style shuttle looms in Turkey. For those of you wondering how a Canadian expat falls into the Turkish textile industry, Jennifer says it happened pretty quickly as far as starting a new business is concerned. I came to Turkey on a holiday in 2005, and by the end of that month, I knew that I was going to stop teaching English in Thailand at the end of March and move to Turkey 2006 in April. And my goal was to start a cafe and art gallery. I did that a year later. And during the cafe's time, we had many people coming in asking advice. Where can I buy this? Where can I find this? And one of the things that kept on coming up was where do I find the famous Turkish towels? And I didn't really know the answer. All I just knew is there was enough people that that's a great next business idea. So it sat floating in the back of my head. When I sold the uh, cafe, I uh, was going to take a bit of a break and my ceramics partner actually informed me there was a shop available in the Arasta Bazaar 
and kind of pushed me into taking it, even though I was hoping to take a break. I did not take a break. I bought the shop and had nothing to put in it, and I forced him to take me on the road looking for people who made the famous Turkish towels. And the famous Turkish towels are. Jennifer explains to me Ottoman weavers invented the technique behind Turkish towels, making continuous loops with a piece of fabric on a loom. In doing so, the towels are incredibly strong and long-lasting, which gives them the high-quality Turkish towels are so famous for. Like Jennifer mentioned, people go looking for it when they visit Istanbul. Turkish towels are sought out by tourists as baklava and Turkish coffee. To Jennifer, it was the perfect new business idea. But in order to put Turkish towels in her empty store, Jennifer needed to find the looms with which to make them, as well as the weavers who knew the Ottoman technique. Despite Turkey being so huge in textiles, Jennifer spent six days driving around Turkey trying to find looms and weavers. She figured it would be an easy task, not a countrywide scavenger hunt. After days of searching, she discovered the art of the old-style loom was almost extinct. We're the only company in Turkey working with weavers. We do more than just towels. We do peshtemels and all sorts of things, but everything is made on old-style shuttled looms. The artisans that work with us are male because the uh, history of weaving was such that women were the home weavers and the teachers. We lost them about 40 years ago. And what I found 11 years ago when I went looking for people was eight of them. Yes, you heard that right. Only eight people left who knew the art of the old style loom weaving in the entire country, most of whom went bankrupt trying to make a living off of it. Jennifer tells me that while they've managed to grow the industry, they haven't saved it yet, which is her ultimate goal. Everything kind of changes when you go from wanting to just stock a store with something that you think people will love, and, and I like textiles as well, to seeing that you have one person who led you to another eight, and you have these nine families as your meager be beginnings, and <laughs> if you don't do things right, and if you don't do your job, they're going to go bankrupt. So it changes your view of the business, and that's where it started. The issue is that no one has been learning for 40 years. So my big passion now is to try to start a project. COVID has put things on the, on the sidelines, but I've got an application in for a foundation. And if that goes through, then we can start raising funds to build a weaving school so that we can actually start to teach new people. And we would want to focus on women but I'll not exclude men and foster new teachers as well. I mean, it's, it's important if everything's going to keep going. I asked her to tell me more about the foundation. The Weaving School is a binder and a plethora of information in Jennifer's brain. Um, <laughs> that's been quite, it's, it's quite an extensive project and we will have to raise a large amount of money, but um, that's the reason why I need the foundation. I can't do it all on my own back. I don't have the, the funds to do it. Jennifer tells me that in order to obtain the funds necessary to start the foundation, you have to go through the Turkish government. Like any bureaucratic government system, this is a long, arduous application process. After months of putting together the required application materials, she was ready to submit it in March 2020, in hopes the Turkish courts would approve it soon after. But then COVID came, and the courts shut down. Unfortunately, her application for the Weaving School Foundation fell to the bottom of a large stack of other foundation applications that just weren't a priority for the Turkish government. It's kind of just a waiting game until the courts take a look at the application. If they approve it, 
then we are an actual foundation and we can start raising funds and, and doing the things necessary to move towards the goal of building the school. COVID-19 has impacted Jennifer's plan to preserve the old-style shuttered loom art in more than one way. She's a small business in a tourist district, and like so many others, it's been a rough year where sales are concerned. This is why I spoke with Jennifer in the first place. I first encountered Jennifer's store while I was working in Istanbul in 2017, when a friend took me and a group of co-workers. Before we went, we were promised the wonders of a towel store and instructed to bring our wallets. As you can guess, most of us were prepared to be underwhelmed. After all, it was just towels. Like she said earlier, Jennifer's main store is located on a quaint, bizarre street right behind the Blue Mosque in Sultanahmet, one of the most dense tourist areas in Istanbul. But there was a large group of us, about 30 people, and the main store really only fits about 10 if you squeeze. Instead, we were led to the Jennifer's Hammam warehouse, about 10 minutes from the bazaar, a big, white, nondescript-looking building, until you walk in. When you walk in, you're greeted with sales associates and a complimentary Turkish tea. Jennifer calls it the showroom, because it is. We love to surprise people. When they walk in the door, sometimes their jaw drops and they don't know what to say. Then we know we've gotten off to a good start. If you're the kind of person that derives satisfaction from any kind of organization or perfectly folded clothes, the showroom would act as therapy for you. From the floor to the ceiling, there are thousands of towels folded according to material, size, price, and so forth, stacked according to the rules of the rainbow, red, orange, yellow, green, blue, and violet. The building is four stories, complete with other textiles, blankets, bed linens, robes, soap, and more. As someone who never really saw themselves as excitable by towels, I was not mentally prepared for the level of ogling I did that day. My coworkers and I spent hundreds of dollars on ourselves, our families, and friends. Loyal patrons of Jennifer's Hammam have deemed it the towel store, including friends of mine who have never even been there. While I was in Istanbul in September, despite the pandemic, my friends asked that I stop by the towel store to get them things. I told Jennifer this. Oh, that's great. We love stories like that. Our whole business um, has continued because wonderful people keep recommending and, and talking about us. So, You heard Jennifer's story at the beginning of the show about the beginning of COVID in Istanbul. She was the only person in Sultanahmet amongst a sea of seagulls along with a single lonely stray dog. This is unheard of in Istanbul, and it really portrays the emptiness the tourist district felt at the start of the pandemic. But when I went in September, it was still pretty bad. The borders were open for flights, but no one was there. After my friends instructed me to get them robes and towels from Jennifer's hammam, I took a cab to Sultanahmet and walked through the square between the Blue Mosque and Hagia Sophia. It was a beautiful, warm, sunny day, perfect conditions for people to be out and about. There were a handful of tourists scattered in the square, taking pictures, but nowhere near the hundreds of people I was used to seeing in years prior. When I walked down the bazaar street, I wasn't solicited by a single person, no shop owners trying to convince me to step in and try their tea, to check out purses, or to tell me I looked like a Spice Girl, a real trick compliment that I have encountered at bazaars all over Istanbul. I'm blonde, so I stick out a little bit. If I'm being honest, I was almost offended by how invisible I seemed. It wasn't the provocating solicitation I was accustomed to. I arrived at Jennifer's hammam and met one of the sales associates at the entrance, named Haji. He was sitting on his phone and barely noticed me walking down the street until I walked into the store. He jumped up and apologized, letting me know I was his first customer all day. It was 2 p.m. It had been so dead and bizarre the last six months, none of the shops expected people anymore, 
Hajay and I talked for a bit about how COVID impacted the store's business and others along the bazaar strip. Since this interaction, I haven't been able to stop thinking about the reasons why Turkey kept their border open to Americans, unlike other countries, and how important tourism is to the Turkish economy. That's when I reached out to Jennifer. Could you talk a little bit about how business has been going for you in 2020? Sure. It's, <laughs> as with everyone around the world, it's been a very interesting year. It's not what we expected, of course. We had a bad year, a bad couple of years post-2016 with the bombs and whatnot. And things were just starting to recover. And everyone was very hopeful about 2020. To be totally locked down for April, May, and June, and part of July, if you don't have a permanent base of clientele, if you're just one of these shops here that rely on walk-by traffic, you've had a really hard time staying open. And many, many shops have closed down. We are so lucky to have a base of clients. And during those months, we reached out to everybody and were offering virtual tours of the showroom. So thank goodness for our little phones and FaceTime and WhatsApp and Zoom and the rest of it. We could bring people into the showroom and, and a salesman would walk you through and give you the information and you could shop as you go. And that's really helped us. The other thing that's been very surprising is that wholesale has been quite good and a lot of new wholesale clients because I think people are shifting their thoughts to if you lost your job or if you you had to to stop working for a short period. It's like, what am I going to do to make extra money? And people are looking for good quality things to sell online. So we've had a lot of new wholesale business besides our normal people ordering that would be preparing for Christmas. So that, that was a nice surprise for us. But in comparison to a normal bumper year, it's a fraction of what it should have been. I'm just wondering, just out of curiosity, what has been the number one sale for wholesale? What has been selling the most? Is it towels? You know, it really depends on the client. So we have clients who do mostly towels and hardly anything else. And then some clients who do mostly peshtimals and hardly anything else. Others that do a real broad view of, of including throws and bed covers and all sorts of things. Some people just do keze, which are scrubbing mitts. So it's a real mix. But um, you know, from being in the showroom yourself, we have a whole floor dedicated to peshtimals and other flat woven items and a whole floor dedicated to, to the towels. And those are the two big items. I was just going to say that it would make a lot of sense if it was mostly blankets and throws and duvets, given that people are at home now and want to be cozy. Yeah. But <laughs> Robes are a really big thing. Yeah, exactly. And that is exactly why my friend forced me to get her a robe while I was there. <laughs> you mentioned how in 2016, for the last four years, it's been a little difficult. There were bombs and a staged attempted coup in 2016, mm -hmm. um, infamously known as the July 15th coup. Uh, could you describe the aftermath and how it impacted business then and kind of compare it to what's different now in 2020? So the first bomb in 2016 was in January. So that's a very slow time for us. And I was not in Istanbul. I was away visiting my weavers. And when we got the call that it had happened, I mean, the Hippodrome is just minutes walk away from both our shop and the showroom. 
So of course we wanted to make sure every, sure everybody was okay, which they were. We couldn't really anticipate or know how that was going to affect us until about March. We'd already had reports of hotels saying people are starting to cancel because they were afraid. But March came along and, and that was the real proof that it was going to be a pretty tough year. Unfortunately, more bombs happened and then the attempted coup and also the airport situation, the bomb there, and that just killed the rest of 2016. 2017 was also very difficult and it wasn't until the end of 2018 that things were actually starting to improve a little bit. People were feeling a little more comfortable because it had been a while since anything bad had happened. In comparison to now though, I mean, back then I would have said that our tourism was down about 80% April to mid-July. It was zero, <laughs> of course, because nobody could fly in. But Turkey has opened the borders to everyone since mid-July, but it, I would still say that it's 10% of what it should have been. So this, this has been much more difficult. And I suppose in some ways, the 2016 to 18 period for some people was a time of reflection and learning how to prepare and live and survive through something like that. So maybe it helped some people survive this one. I'm not sure. I know we went to great lengths to work extra hard at, at all sorts of things to make sure that, you know, we could keep it ongoing, even if tourism didn't improve. So, You mentioned that Turkey opened up the borders to everybody in July. Do you think that was crucial for a lot of businesses to stay open like yourself? I mean, just thinking that... <sighs> Like there's, been, there's such an argument back and forth all the time about whether or not a country should be letting in visitors and tourists right now. I'm just wondering, how do you think things would be if Turkey didn't open the borders to Americans and other countries? I'm sure that many businesses would be suffering much more. It's hard for me to comment because for us, this opening of the borders has not brought back our section of the pie of clientele that would normally visit us. I'm not saying that we don't have anybody coming into the shop or the showroom, but I mean, most of what we're seeing are people from Eastern Bloc countries that are price sensitive and are coming because hotels are so cheap and, you know, the lira has fallen so greatly that it's inexpensive for them to come. And during normal times, things are much more expensive here. And I, that section of people wouldn't be able to visit. And it's, it's a very small amount of people. So our style of shopper hasn't really arrived yet because there are people that believe, you know, you probably would be wise to not get on the plane. You'd probably be wise to stay at home as much as you can and be careful. So I'm not sure the impact that the people that are here right now as tourists are having on, you know, what shops have been able to stay open and restaurants and hotels. It's definitely something how big of something it is, I'm not sure. If there is anything that most businesses like Jennifer's are looking forward to during COVID, it's what life will be like after COVID. The surge in the stock market, the way people are going to enjoy their freedom from their houses and start traveling again. I asked Jennifer how she envisioned the tourist industry immediately post-COVID. In, in some bizarre ways, I'm a little bit afraid <laughs> that when those borders all open up and everybody's done with COVID, I think people are going to go 
crazy for travel because everybody has cabin fever. And so many people I know are writing all the time going, oh, I was supposed to come and I couldn't because of COVID. And, and I want to try to make sure that we're prepared with our staff, you know, to cope with whatever comes. Because if, if it just flipped back to pre-2016 kind of business and we've been in this lull of, you know, you start moving slower and thinking slower, right? Um, we would really, really have to get the adrenaline going to keep up. And that's not a bad thing. It's just, it's like, I hope that it builds and doesn't just slam us and flood us. We need the tourism back in Turkey. It's not just for us. It's for everybody. Tourism is a big part of how how Turkey makes its money and, and people survive. So it's important. I wanted to ask Jennifer more about her Weaving School Foundation and the problems she might have that aren't because of COVID. I mean, one of the biggest factors that will be difficult is convincing young women to come learn how to weave because it's not in fashion right now. They are at a different spot in thinking here in Turkey. And, and I... I'm going to generalize. I don't mean to, but I'm going to compare them to post-war America. They're into factory fashion and bling and cheap. And we went through this. We can't fault them for this. But when you talk about weaving, it's like, oh, no, I would never do that. I go to the department store to buy my things because that's what's the fashion right now for, for young women. But because the lira is falling and we've had so many you know, financial difficulties with all the things we've talked about, I believe that we can draw people in for financial reasons. Plus, we still have a lot of Syrian uh, refugees here, and Syria was part of the greater Ottoman Empire, and until the war, there were people still doing weaving, including the looping technique there. So there might be people to draw from there that have some knowledge or more knowledge. There also might be financial reasons why they might want to learn as well. And we've got customers in the UNDP and UN Women and in the American Embassy and Consulate. We have huge support in the Canadian Consulate and Embassy and all these wonderful people in our client base. I know are going to help us find people to come and learn. And my dream is that it's going to be on a huge piece of land in central Anatolia. And we're also going to build beautiful upper scale cottages for people to come and stay and participate and we'll feed them because we'll have a big land that grows everything, you know, garden to table food, a great chef. And I think we could become a place to come and visit and learn. And this could all support the project so that yes, we'll get funding at the beginning, but I want to be self-sustaining in five years. So that's the dream. This is, this is what's great. We close the loop by not just teaching, but also being sure that we can employ these people and they'll be self-employed. The dream is a school with 10 classrooms and uh, around 100 looms. A lot of them would be beginner-style looms, meaning two pedals, but we would also have some classrooms with obviously graduated increments of more difficulty. And at the beginning, you're not going to have people to fill those looms probably. But as time went on, I would hope we would have 100 students at any given time. That's ambitious, but I, I think there's something to invest in there for the sake of, I mean, you think about 
dying languages, dying arts and stuff. There's such a need for that to preserve something like weaving in Turkey and in the Middle East I also think we kind of need it for the planet too. Fashion is not that we're we're sort of on the cusp of fashion, but fashion is has a huge impact on the environment and the landfills and, and we really need to reassess the whole fashion world and you know we talk about slow food well there should be slow fashion too and and this is some of it making things that last longer is part of what we want for this planet so that we're not dumping so much garbage some people say oh well i would get bored with that and it's like no you know what this is like that pair of jeans that you put on at first and they're kind of stiff and then they start feeling like your own skin and then you're wearing them every day and they start to wear out and you're patching them and you'll do anything to save that pair of jeans. Well, our towels are like that. You know, my clients will do anything because they're so in love with that towel to not throw it away. It's not about a fashion statement anymore. It's about something that you love. And anything made by human hands opposed to a machine has that feeling in it. We, we can see when people connect and start touching things. And, and it's because there's that human factor people can tell the difference on a subconscious level. Thinking about people walking into your warehouse and like you said, touching those towels that you know are made by other people and not a machine and knowing that they're probably made with intense feeling and love is, it's a different feeling than it would be to go to, I don't know, what's a, what's a good example of a, like Bed Bath & Beyond. Beyond. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, like Bed Bath & Beyond in the United States, which is, you know, addictive for some people, but there's a contrast there, I think, between the two stores. Definitely. And, and you know, there's nothing like all the people that write back to us and go, my God, I hadn't, I just love my towels. I had no idea. And that keeps us going because we know, we know in our hearts that all the information that we share and, you know, we're good salesmen, but we're actually educators. We're trying to educate people about the difference about what you can get out there and what this is. And it's so rewarding. It takes a lot of effort, but we get all that energy and love back from our clients who believed in us and went home with things and then said, wow, I had no idea this equality even existed. So that's that's why we keep doing what we do. Do you mind me asking who you think your top tourist client is, nationality-wise? Sorry, my fellow Canadians. I'm so sorry. But you Americans, we love you. <laughs> we want you to come <laughs> back soon. I mean, uh, when I first got here, the Turks, you know, are excellent merchants. And they would always make fun about the fact that I was a Canadian. Oh, you got to think about it. And when I started selling... When I got out of the coffee shop and started selling towels, it was it was hilarious because it's kind of a true stereotype. Canadians got to think about everything, and Americans don't. You know what? When you explain things, you you do have to explain things uh, to some of them. Not I'm not saying that they're not like Italians who just touch something and say, "Oh, they understand the quality." French people do as well, and Italians will spend the money for it. French. You have to convince. But the <laughs> Americans, even if they don't know quality, they will listen to you. They want to listen to you. They want to be educated. And then they make a decision and they buy. 
And Americans are, I think, also amazing supporters of things they believe to be right. And I'm just impressed with them. I, I know a lot of times people have come to Turkey in the 11 years that I've been here and hung their head because of this reason or that reason. And, and oh, nobody likes the Americans and I'm going to pretend to be Canadian. But it's like, no, I, I personally believe this is who we need back in Turkey. I mean, that's, that's the, the staple of the tourism here. And I'm not trying to put down any other country. We love all of our tourists, but really we appreciate the support we've had from our Americans so much. So what you're trying to say is that Turkey should keep the borders open to Americans only. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about only, but we sure wouldn't want them closed. That's for sure. Well, that's good to hear. Anyway. I'm glad that the keeping the borders open has done some good work letting Americans back into the country. I feel very fortunate as a, you know, I could never, ever have a store selling cheap synthetic pashminas not made in Nepal or India, but coming out of China and, and a machine, you know, like I, I just wouldn't have the heart for it because I have the heart for this. And I, we attract such amazing clients, the Americans, but also from around the world. And, and they all have an appreciation for what we do. And it's, it's, yeah, I can't say en enough thank yous. It's really heartwarming. In case you want to peruse Jennifer's Hammam products, you can visit and purchase remotely. Come and visit us. We use only organic threads, such as 100% GOT certified organic cotton. We also use linen when we can find it. It's a hard find. And we also do silk. You can contact us on jenniferzamam.com. And if you go to the shopping page, you'll see a virtual tour form you can fill out. We're on social media. We don't post a lot of pictures, but you can see us on, on Instagram, Facebook, uh, LinkedIn, and Pinterest. And uh, we miss you. So if you can't come in person, please contact us and visit us virtually. Thanks for listening to the THO Podcast. I'm Margot Steinhaus. Until next time. <laughs>